There are many different paths you can take, but there's only one road to Atlanta. A high drive deep out to left field. He clubbed it. Brady twisting and turning, looking up and giving up. It's a home run for Danby Swanson. Player out towards shallow right. That's big trouble. Albies going back. He dives and he makes the catch. What a play, Ozzy Albies. Swanson is headed for three. He'll try for an inside the parker. Relay throw comes toward the plate. He'll score standing, and it's his second inside the park home run of the season. This is your weekly podcast dedicated to the Atlanta Braves farm system. Follow the show on Twitter at Road the Number Two Atlanta. Now hit the road with your hosts Eric Cole, Gaurav Vidak, and Garrett Spain. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Road to Atlanta, a podcast devoted solely to the Braves farm system and Braves prospects. I am one of your hosts, Eric Cole. You may recognize me from my work over on TalkingChop.com, where I've been the minor league editor for the better part of five seasons now, and the deputy site manager for a couple seasons now. Joining me, only only have one co-host tonight, uh, we had some other guys who had some other commitments this evening, is one Matt Powers, who you can follow over on Twitter at MattPowers31. Matt, what's going on, man? Not too much. Looking forward to talking about the Braves. Yeah, it's been kind of wild. I mean, obviously the the major league team is on this you know crazy run over the last couple months, all but locked up the division. But that's not really what you guys are here for. Uh, this podcast is obviously strictly about prospects in the minor leagues, and somewhat sadly for us is that the minor league season's over. Like I, I always find myself, and I don't know about you, but I always find myself like that first week without recaps at all. I just, like, don't really know what to do because I feel like I'm, like, every morning I'm, like, forgetting something and, like, it just feels like there's this empty spot. Are you are, are you uh, surviving so far? I mean, I think you remember what I said today to you today in my last recap that I just wish it would not end every year. Yeah, it's... It's it's tough, but it's we're fortunate, and we're we're going to talk about this a little bit. Is that um, we do have some like it, the the schedule's changed a little bit for fall leagues in kind of what happens in the off season because generally what we have to do is we have to wait about like we have September call ups and all that stuff you know generally kind of winding down from the season and then later on in the off season like in October we get the Arizona Fall League which is something that Garrett recaps this is like weekly recaps once a week and that's still going to be happening but it's different this year because we get more baseball, more minor league baseball, and we have some guys to look at starting in the middle of the month in September. So, But we'll talk a little bit about that later on in the podcast. Um, we are going to do some mailbag questions, and this may be a little bit of a shorter podcast, again, just because the season's ended. Not a whole lot of new things to talk about. There, there's definitely some things that have been newsworthy, but overall, just kind of talking a little bit about our like closing thoughts from the season, what we're kind of initial thoughts are, and... Talking a little bit about the Arizona Fall League before we can answer some questions, and then we're going to let you guys go about your business. Um, the first thing, the, the the big news, I guess, was that uh, the the Stripers were the only team from the Braves minor leagues to make the playoffs this year. Uh, they were they subsequently lost in the playoffs. I don't know about you, and you, you can kind of speak to this a little bit. Is that it felt like the only player that was really playing super well? That was like a prospect of note was was Christian Pache, who actually looked really good in that series. Beyond that, it, it wasn't like a particularly banner. I mean, you know, some of the starters looked okay, but then the bullpen kind of fell apart in a few of those games. Did you, you have any takeaways from that series or like kind of what you saw towards the end of the year from Gwinnett? Not really. I think it was just a forgettable time all, overall for us as fans and them as players. I mean, it was the end of the long year. 
the big prospects, specifically the hitters, had just moved up from already what was a very challenging assignment in double A and finished the year in triple A going up against basically big leaguers. I mean, they're worn down. They're facing very experienced players who are much older and much more advanced than them. So it's, it's just not the greatest mix the end of a minor league season as these guys just kind of wear down. Yeah, I don't, I think that some people were trying to draw conclusions from both like Drew Waters hot start at AAA and Pache kind of being a little cold there. I mean, it's worth, I mean, that, that adjustment on both sides is something that's real. I mean, no one really knew what was going on with like when they when Drew first got there, he was kind of hitting the cover off the ball. And as a switch hitter, he kind of could always get up, you know, get a situational advantage in that regard. But as the, you know, as he kind of got more in the AAA, it seemed like those numbers started coming back to earth versus Christian Pache, who kind of was making adjustments to what he was seeing. And so they're very, they're different players in a lot of ways. And I don't want to draw too many conclusions either way. Yeah, they end up being rough, roughly similar batting lines. And then, you know, Pache ended the year much better. He had a grand slam in the, in the playoff series. And he, I think the last game of the series, he had like a three hit game. So like, he, both these guys are still, are still really good prospects. They're both top 100 guys, and they're really, really obviously really, really close to making it to the big leagues now. I expect them to get longer looks in spring training this year. With service time considerations, I don't necessarily think that we're going to see anything beyond that. Um, you know, until like later, if they're needed. I, I guess I could see a world where Pache or Waters was on the big league roster coming out of spring training, but it seems unlikely. Beyond that, I mean, the pitchers looked okay. I think, you know, Tucker struggled a little bit. And, I mean, a lot of the guys kind of just struggled a little bit in that playoff series. I, but not something that I'm willing to draw many conclusions about. You know, I think a lot of people, when they hear the playoffs and then they kind of start paying attention to the minor leagues a little bit and their names they recognize and they struggle, they kind of get too up or down based on those performances. When the reality is it's at the end of a long season, I mean, these playoffs certainly matter to those guys. But it's not really the same feel when you're, you know, thinking about trying to make it to the major leagues. And in many of these guys' cases, they weren't able to hold on to major league spots. It's not, it's not the same feeling, and it's not the same, you know, there's not that same urgency necessarily to kind of show out as much. So, I'm hopeful uh, for a lot of these guys. You know, the Kyle Wrights, Bryce Wilsons, Tucker Tucker Davidson uh, was one of the fun stories this year. He was one of the better, better pitchers in the Southern League, made his way to AAA, and now. You know, has certainly gotten the attention of a lot of people. Whether or not he's continue can continue that trajectory is going to really come down to his command. Um, other than that, we've kind of we've talked a lot about Kyle Wright and you know kind of the issues he's had after that first time through the order and you know how real that is and how concerned that is. It seems like you like this stuff probably more than I do at this point. Um, but I think we both agree it's a really live arm and hopefully he can kind of get that execution down better because when he is on and he actually can like attack that second and third time through the order, he's really, really good. It just doesn't happen that way. You know what I mean? Um, but beyond that, I mean like, but I, I want to give Gwinnett some love here. Cause again, they made the playoffs. I mean, from that rotation kind of, do you, were you, were you overall like kind of disappointed with their overall production or just kind of more of a wait and see for you? More of a wait and see. I mean, obviously, right. I don't want to call him a disappointment, but he didn't live up to what you'd hope, obviously. I mean, I think that goes without saying. So, yeah, that's a little disappointing. Uh, Tukey, 
I mean, not that he was so much a true part of that rotation, but you can't call his season anything other than disappointing. Bryce Wilson, I mean, he, yeah, he was a little disappointing. I mean, you kind of knew what he was going into the year long term, but I think he kind of helped push himself further into that box at this point. So that's a little disappointing, even though his year overall wasn't that disappointing. Yeah, uh, I mean, his numbers in the minors were really good. It's just the minors, mm-hmm. the numbers in the majors that were a little bit tricky. Well, even what I saw in the minors, I mean, it's it, not numbers-wise. I mean, numbers-wise look fine. It's just he looks more and more like a reliever, which that's fine. But when you had hopes that he was going to be something more, there's a little disappointment that comes with that, obviously. Um, oh, I don't, don't disagree with that at all. Um, and, you know, hats off to Ian Anderson, by the way, who will, I, I will maintain is he's really risen his stock with me quite a bit. Because my, my concern with him since his Rome days is him staying healthy while maintaining, like, command of high-level stuff. If he had to back off on his stuff any just to kind of be able to get through a season or to try to command, you know, the strike zone a bit better – that he was far less interesting to me, but you know he was still throwing gas. The the one thing I will say about his numbers from AAA is it's worth noting that we're talking about a small sample of a guy who was still getting used to it in brand new baseball. So in that sense, like you know some of the walk numbers jumping up a little bit, he does have a bit of a track record in terms of walks. But there's also like a like a new physical object that he's throwing, and I know that some people think that there's not that big of a difference. But honestly, when we're talking about a game of inches, and you're talking about you know, a guy who already gets a lot of movement on his pitches. I'm willing to give him a, a free pass on like, you know, the, the numbers not looking as awesome in AAA when you're when you have to factor in him actually getting used to throwing that ball. Uh, I imagine this offseason he's going to be throwing with it quite a bit just to get used to it and to really understand kind of what his stuff does and doesn't do going forward. But I tend to agree with you. It's you know, the, the, there were definitely things that were disappointing. No, no one fully cratered for me, with the possible exception of Tukey, just because couldn't really hold on to a reliever spot in the majors. And he obviously couldn't crack the rotation. And in the minors, it, it felt like the version of Tukey that we've seen before where he doesn't have any command of his fastball. And as a result, he's having to like take some off of it to be able to command it and throw it for strikes more. And that's when he gets hit really hard. And so all of a sudden he has these games where he walks a bunch of guys, realizes he doesn't have command, backs off on his stuff, and then they start teeing off on him. And that's just not a profile for a starter or a reliever for that matter you know i think that in terms of his raw stuff if he was able to just command it a bit better and kind of let it fly with more trust i guess is the best way i know how to describe it is like he would be a really good reliever and you know my i have you know a small amount of hope that he can end up sticking as a starter but not much that you saw this year makes you think that that's going to happen and I wish I had better answers as to why he regressed like he did this year, but it didn't it just didn't really happen for him beyond the fact that he just you know and the reason being is just the, the command was just so inconsistent. You'd see him like break off these hammer curves every once in a while, and that's enough to make you dream on the guy because he can throw hard, um, has the velocity to be and the the breaking stuff to be a you know like a front line guy, but wasn't able to command it, and that's going to be a problem because then, again, he has to take something off it to be able to command it, and his stuff becomes much less exciting. So overall, again, happy for the Stripers 
congratulations on making it to the playoffs. And it's a, it was a pretty interesting little stripers team just because, you know, most of the time it was anchored by like an Adam Duvall, Austin Riley led offense, you know, Johan Camargo with a late season appearance. Uh, again, Rafael Ortega and Andres Blanco. That, that was a team that hit a bunch of home runs and had some interesting pieces. And over time, the pitching rotation became really stacked with guy with names we knew. But overall, the performance I think was a little bit a little bit disappointing in terms of what we see developing in terms of player development. Um, in particular, you know, the Kyle Wrights, the the Tukies, uh, Bryce Wilson. Again, the numbers look really good, and there's at times that the he what stuff he has did look good. But I tend to agree with you is that you know it just seems like he's not trying to really. I I, I say not trying. That's not that's not fair. That that implies a, a motivation that I don't think is there or not there. It's that. I'm not seeing the improvement in the secondaries that I feel like you'd need to have to be a star at the major league level because otherwise, because right now what's happening is you know you can just sit on something with him and he's getting hit hard in the major league level and you just that's just not going to happen. That's just not going to work. So um, next up, uh, we did have some some call ups, uh, not a ton of them. I was a little bit surprised that there, were, there haven't been more. I expect we will see more over time. Just kind of depends on. What the needs are of the of the major league club over the course of September, um, but Adam Duvall did get end up back up, and Austin Riley is Austin Riley is on the major league roster now. He's not playing particularly well. Uh, Jeremy Walker's in the uh, in the bullpen hanging around, and <laughs> AJ Minter did get called back up, and then was promptly put on the sixty day DL with uh, I believe it was elbow or shoulder inflammation. I can't remember which one. Uh, that just happened today. Uh, is there, other than the names I mentioned, because those are the guys that got called up, were you expecting? I mean, I know I know that we kind of you kind of wanted Pache called up, but the the role that he would have had to play isn't really something that's available because Billy Hamilton was acquired. Was there anyone that you were expecting to get called up and then it didn't get called up? No, no. I mean, I was expecting Pache to get called up before before Billy Hamilton, obviously. And once Billy Hamilton got brought in, it was obvious what was going to actually happen there. So, not surprising. I mean, that was what you'd expect. So, Waters not being called up, you, you could not have expected Waters to be called up. And I like Waters. I like him a lot. I always have. But he, he was not ready for the big leagues today. So, the fact that they didn't bring him up doesn't really say anything negative about him. He just wasn't ready right now. And... Ian Anderson, I mean, I think he was ready for the big leagues to an extent, but it would have been not to start in the big league game right now, down the stretch. It would have been in a relief role. I mean, once you clinch the division, once you lock up seating, sure, give him a start. Once a game gets meaningless, but you don't need him for the postseason roster. He's he's not going to be one of your main guys in a playoff series. So why would you try to break a guy like that in right now when the games are so meaningful to your postseason. So there's just no real way to call anyone else up. I tend to agree. I was a, I'm was a little bit, and again, th- these moves could still theoretically happen. I'm a little bit surprised that Patrick Weigel is not up um, in terms of just being on the active roster. But beyond that, I mean, th- there's no, like, relievers. Uh, they, they, Grant Dayton has been... Now I'm back on the active roster since AJ Minter has been taken off, so that's another name that was like possible if you know things went things went right that he could have he could have made it onto the you know made it onto the roster now that he has. 
But Weigel's kind of pretty much the only name in terms of like a long man or a guy who can come in and, you know, be a reliever. And he's kind of settled into that role. So at least for this season, and he's had some experience in doing so this season. Again, that's not the craziest notion to me. I do, but beyond that, there's no names that I'm just like, you know, why isn't he up? And what, you know, this is a guy that the team could use right now. There, there are some arms, like some, some relief arms that you could th- theoretically see him getting called up, but doesn't seem super likely either. So there, <laughs> it, I kind of was like, I was expecting more for some reason with September call-ups and it just ended up not happening. And then I kind of looked at the names that were available and I'm like, oh yeah, it's not particularly exciting. Um, the big names, you know, getting, you know, the two ruddy bats in Riley and Duvall were the, the ones that I was expecting the most and, you know, started hearing whispers that was probably going to happen. Uh, even if, you know, unless Gwinnett like went on a crazy run in the postseason, and then once they kind of started losing some games, they just decided to pull the trigger and get them called up before that national series, which made a ton of sense to me, particularly against that Corbin start, um, against Corbin in that one game. So I, w- I wish we had some like cool stories about like September call-ups that like really surprised us or like were these really flashy names, but that's just not what we have in this particular, this particular September. And it makes sense because again, all the, guys who were major gritty and who were able to contribute, the Braves had already kind of pulled the trigger on to put up on the, to put up on the active roster. So hopefully, you know, we'll have more to talk about, like, you know, interesting prospects. And there, again, the Braves still have a lot of them. The The system is, and I'm, I'm actually, before we move on to the mailbag, uh, after the AFL talk, I am going to ask you, so I want you to think about it a little bit, as to kind of where you would rank roughly the, the Braves farm system across baseball right now. Um, so just kind of be thinking about that while we're talking, but, you know, it's definitely a system that has weakened some, and again, mostly from promotions, uh, as well as some guys getting traded away and, you know, some guys who have regressed a little bit, but it's still a good system. And there's going to have some guys that are going to be competing for some spots next year that aren't necessarily, that, that are not just guys. They're just, they're guys who could theoretically make a big impact, uh, especially if they get off to a hot start, like so we saw with Austin Riley this year. Um, last little news item before we take a break and, do mailbag questions is um, AFL starts middle of September. We already talked a little bit about it. Uh, the Braves are sending Grayson Janista, Trey Harris, Justin Dean, Daisbell Hernandez, Connor Johnstone, Brad Roney, Garrison Schwartz, and Brendan White. Obviously we're going to be kind of, we, we have, I think we have, we're in agreement that there's two guys we're really going to be watching closely, but I kind of want what, what are you kind of looking forward to the most from the Arizona fall league? Really, what I'm looking forward to the most is Trey Harris. I mean, what he did this year was beyond anyone's expectations. I want to see what he does against good quality, high-level pitching with tons of scouts on him. I want to see what he does in that environment. Does he keep hitting at that high level? Does he look more average? I mean, I think the AFL got a long way to helping decide his future. Even though it's not going to be the decision maker for what he is, I think a strong showing could firmly push him up into legit prospect for those that don't actually have him there at this point, or could relegate him down to that just a guy list. So I think it's a very big AFL for him specifically. And obviously Grayson Janista is a guy who did very well at the end of the year, especially as compared to the start of the year. So it's going to be important to see if he can keep that going. I mean, those are the two things I'm most interested in watching myself. So 
I tend to agree with you on the Trey Harris thing because I think he will hit. I think he just can hit. Now, whether or not it's an impact bat is a little bit more in question for me. And I'd like to see him. The, the AFL has some real prospects, and there's going to be a wide collection of, of guys with a wide collection of stuff, and it's stuff that he hasn't seen yet. So I'm interested to see kind of how he performs, particularly in just terms of like being an impact back, getting some extra base hits and kind of being, not being a consistent like one for four, one for three guy, but like having big games. Uh, we, we, and we've seen him do this. So we'll see what happens. Um, I am, I wouldn't say I'm skeptical. I just feel like we, like he's, he is what he is. And that is he's a top 30 prospect who can hit and, that that means he could probably be a fringe regular. That's kind of where I think of him at this moment. And that's not a knock on him at all. Like, he's just kind of a guy who can hit. And But I don't think he's going to hit a ton of home runs, and I don't think it's going to be, like, you know, like a crazy a crazy stretch. But he's one of my favorite stories of this year, a guy who was a late-round pick, kind of came out of nowhere this year, and hit the cover off the ball, you know, and made his well, made all his way up to double-A. I want to be wrong about him, and I'm pretty interested to see what he would do against the AAA ball and the Major League ball, for that matter, which whether or not that, that could very easily alter his power output a, a good bit, and that matters a lot to me. But for the moment, what I want to see is you know whether or not he can like can be one of those guys that can like kind of drive an offense rather than be kind of a, a, a fairly regular participant in it. As he, as he goes through the AFL and then kind of moving up next year. The other guy, I mean, Janista, I'm... I'm hopeful, but I'm just not super optimistic about it. He had a couple stretches towards the end of the year. He was pretty good, but he also had a couple stretches where he was pretty abysmal again. So I'm hopeful that he does well. But the other guy I'm really interested to see is Justin Dean, who I think is really undersold in a lot of levels in the in the Braves farm system and just in prospectum in general. Uh, he, he has a ton of tools. He is much stronger than people give him credit for. He hits the ball hard, can run like a deer, and you know, crazy fast. You know, and that's like a, a real impact tool. Uh, in terms of impact tools, it's the one that's probably the least predictive of success, if that makes any sense. There's a lot of guys who are fast, but don't necessarily translate that in the field. But stole a lot of bases, is a really smart player, approaches the game really well, and understands what he has to do on a day-to-day basis to stay healthy and to stay in shape. These are all things I like. He plays a really good center field, too, for that matter. I would like for him to show out because I think if he did sh- if he did show out he has some of those tools like you know if he hits the ball relatively hard and he can you know run like we've seen him run and really showcase that tool I think he'll get noticed down there and that would I think do a lot of good for him because honestly he deserved to be promoted from Rome much I mean he needed to be pr- promoted from Rome in general uh, I don't still know if the Braves necessarily wanted to send him to Florida. Uh, there's obviously some roster considerations you have to factor into that too. So in terms of like, and look, there's other interesting guys like Dave Bell Hernandez is Doc Herbert's favorite reliever. I'm not really sure why he's dug in on him, but I respect it. Uh, and he's a, he's an interesting reliever to be sure. Brendan White's another one as well. Uh, Brad Roney is a guy who has a really live arm and has had dealt with injuries that have kind of cost him a lot of time. And honestly, I thought he would have had a shot at making the major leagues if he hadn't been hurt over the last couple of years. He's going to be a guy that, you know, there, someone is going to tweet out, you know, Brad Roney just threw a high-octane high fastball to strike out some big-name prospect, and people are going to get really excited about him. We're going to ask a bunch of questions about And he's just that kind of guy. It's a guy with a really live arm. It's unclear so whether or not he's going to be commanding it over a, lo- a large sample, but I'm hopeful because, again, that's a guy that has a really live arm. Um, 
So kind of getting back to that question I was going to ask you, Matt, and that we'll we'll end this segment with it right now. And again, this is kind of a rough guess because you mean I'm sure we'll forget about some farm system that would be, you know, that that you know may or may not you know be ahead of the Braves or be relatively close, just because you know it's more of an on the spot thing. But where kind of where do you see the Braves farm system in terms of like if you're like ranking them, are they like a top ten? Are they a top? Are they still a top five farm system? Are they a top ten? What's going on with you? They're not in the top five at all at this point. I mean, I think the top five is pretty set. I think they're definitely top ten, but it's mostly because they're so top-heavy. I mean, when you have three guys like we have right there at the top, how could you not be in that top group? Just not top five at this point, so that's kind of how I'm seeing it. Uh, If I was to start putting it on paper, I'd probably put them around six maybe seven, but definitely not five, not top five. Who who are your five, like, top five farm systems? Or, like, you know, at least, like, a rough estimation. Like, five teams that you think for sure have a better farm system. Tampa. I mean, they're yep. loaded. San Diego is loaded. I think that um, the Indians are pretty loaded with talent, especially at the lower levels. Uh, they're going to surprisingly good job of bringing talent and not really getting a lot of credit for the talent because it's not all been the biggest names overall. I think so they have to be in that mix. Um, The Dodgers are right in there as well. And then it's a couple other teams that would be in that mix for that number five spot. And it's to me, Arizona. They've they're in that same situation Cleveland is. They've done a great job of adding talent. I mean, obviously, they get a lot of attention because they had the best draft this year since they had so many high, high picks. But it's more than just that. They drafted well last year, too. They've had some nice international signings that were guys that were not very big, along with a couple of guys that were big, which is what Cleveland's done. So, I mean, those teams have definitely got the top five for me. Yeah, I could see, I can see cases for all those. I mean, and there's a case for a couple other teams too that the Braves definitely have some top end talent to help that cause. You kind of wish that some of that top end pitching talent was performing a little bit better right now to kind of make a stronger case for them. But I, I tend to agree, kind of somewhere in that like six to ten range somewhere. Uh, probably, probably around seven for me if I was going to put a gun to my head. I think all those teams make, make really good cases in terms of, the, in terms of their farm system. And, you know, like, there's other teams, like, you know, the Astros continually pipe out talent, and they they have some talent down in that farm system. You know, there's it, – it feels that's about right. And I know that's going to disappoint some folks. They're like, oh, you know, here it comes. You know, we the, the talent's drying up. We kind of knew this was coming. You know, the, with all these sanctions, you know, on the international market combined with, you know, the team being a little bit better, and so we're going to start – you know, struggling a bit with, you know, draft picks and things like that. You know, things can change a lot if next year both Langoliers and Shoemake and Bryce Ball are all hitting the cover off the ball. That changes the comp- complexion of things dramatically, but it's not necessarily likely. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it, 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 you can't, it's hard to evaluate all these things in a vacuum just because, you know, other teams are making their, are, are bringing in good guys too. And, just because the Braves don't necessarily have the top-ranked farm system anymore, that's not necessarily a bad thing because all these guys that we have thought so highly of are now on the major league roster and they're about like threatening to win 100 games this year. 
Um, they're trailing right now six five, but you know, hopefully Dansby can do something in this at bat. But you know, it's it's this is just something that was just going to happen, and you know, there's things that can make it go the other way. But right now, it's just kind of you know, it's not as an exciting of a a farm system, and that's okay. It's you know, there's still guys to be excited about. Everyone should be excited about them. I mean, I mean, we haven't even talked about guys like you know Jesse L. De La Cruz and Kyle Muller down there in Double A, and there's definitely some arms and you know arms and bats and in Rome and in High A that we still like and could be something. And they do have some talent on the, the the lower levels of the rookie ball because what they did do in this draft particularly well is on day three they got a bunch of high-end lottery ticket type guys. And if any of those guys pay off, that changes the complexion dramatically. But at this moment in time, there's like this combination of like raw, unclear talent in the, mi- in the low minors. Then you have kind of a little bit of a lull kind of in that Rome to, you know, Florida range with a, a couple notable exceptions, Justin Dean being one of them. And, and then you're a little bit more top heavy towards the, you know, and pitching heavy as well, which is something that uh, pitching prospects in general are just going to fail more often than hitting prospects are. And, you know, there's a little, just more attrition. So you have to kind of be more wary of using that pitching depth too much in terms of these evaluations. So that's kind of my general thought process. Uh, before we, go any further uh, with our mailbag questions we're going to take a short break all right guys and we're back and it is mailbag time i love mailbag time because it's a chance for us to kind of talk about a wide range of topics where we can uh, address questions that we don't necessarily think of for the, the podcast if we just like made a list of topics that we wanted to discuss i'm sure we would forget something consistently and what i like about doing these mailbag questions is that there's always Everyone's thinking about things differently, uh, whether it be like there's some people who are just dug in on one prospect or dug in on one major leaguer. Uh, there's tons of examples out there, uh, both sad and also interesting, <laughs> that exist on social media. So what I like about it is it kind of forces us to kind of think about all a wide range of topics uh, just so that we make sure that we're covering all the information that you guys want to talk about. Um, the first question that we got uh, was removing the guys who have graduated are you guys excited about our minor league talent as you were at this point last year? For example, are you significantly higher or lower on Tukey than you were a year ago because of his struggles? Did Waterstock go up or down, or did it go go up, or did it go way up? I'll let you answer this one first. I mean, obviously, I'm a little down on the system as a whole compared to this point last year. You just don't lose the guys that we've lost in the last year. I mean... Austin Riley is one of them. Mike Soroka is another one that would stay just as excited about the farm system as you were last year. It's still exciting, but you can't lose that and still be the same type of impact overall. So that's kind of where I'm sitting there. I mean, obviously, yeah, Tukey Stocky Town. And we'll get into him a little bit more later because I saw the list of questions, so I don't want to get into him too much on this question. Since he is more related to another question, Waters moved up a little bit for me. Not a ton. I mean, I was already high on him. There's only so much you could move him up at that point because I think there's still some questions that remain, even though the ceiling is pretty high. I mean, I've been high on him since even before he was drafted. I think it was my scouting report that I wrote on him immediately after he was drafted with nothing but fives and sixes across the board for all of his grades. 
So I've, I've been extremely high on him since before he ever put on a Braves uniform at any point. It, it's hard to be higher on a guy that I was already that high on for that many years. Yeah, I agree with that. And the – how do I put it? it? It's a tricky question because if I say that I'm not as excited, I feel like some people might say that we don't think the system is very good and that's just not true. But it's hard to compare when you have the level of talent that the Braves had coming into the season or in previous seasons. Uh, not, for example, preseason 2018 – was a lot easier to be more excited about because we had not seen the debuts of a lot of guys who were like consistent top 40 prospects in baseball. Uh, most notably Ronald Cunha Jr. who's turned into a, a monster of a human and a monster of a player. You know, and plus you have like, you know, have Mike Soroka and you had other guys who were just really high end prospects. And while the Braves certainly have some high end prospects, you know, it's not quite the same, especially when you don't have a guy like Acuna kind of spearheading that. You know, to, to answer the, the the two questions, yes, Tuki stock is down. I I did have I did bump stock, Drew Waters up a little bit, but I'm with Matt. I was already pretty high on him, so you, nothing I saw made me go, you know, like this is like a top ten prospect in baseball. I did see a guy who deserves to be a top one hundred prospect and probably deserves to be a top fifty prospect. But moving him about that far, there's just a lot of elite prospects in baseball right now, and you, you know you don't want to get necessarily too far up in 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 terms of all that stuff. What I will say is that this is the, one of the more interesting systems that we're going to cover coming going into the 2020 season because there's just so many – like there, we have the guys that are known quantities, you know, in the Paches and the Waters. What you want to see is that next step with them. And that's – you know, if they take those next steps, there's a chance for them to be like real meaningful contributors at the major, major league level. But we also have all these guys that we're just not really sure what to make of them in terms of like going forward. You know, the Trey Harris, the Justin Deans, and we have Vaughn Grissom, Michael Harris. These are all super talented guys. Bryce Ball's another guy. He's one of those like first base prospects. You know, is he going to keep hitting at a prodigious rate? And if he is, you know, what does that mean going forward? And kind of how does he factor into things going forward? Does, you know, the, he, there are pro- types of prospects that we don't necessarily have had to deal with as much in previous years because the Braves were still thick on very clearly defined. These are super talented guys. Keep an eye on these guys. And then there are also the guys that we like to keep an eye on the fringes because we have guys emerge. But now it feels like we have more of those fringe guys that clearly have a lot of raw talent but have a lot of things they have to do to put it together. And watching that and seeing – we want to see those trends as to when which guys are going to kind of make those turns. And there's going to be guys that do that. I, I firmly believe that. Is that there's a lot of smart people in the Braves player development system, and a lot of and a lot of smart scouts who are identifying guys who are interesting. Uh, a guy, a, a good example of a guy like that is Stephen Paolini, who, you know, we were, they reached out to us, folks within the organization reached out to us, and they were really excited about that kid, and did not have a particularly great debut as a pro, was also super young and came from a like a not particularly competitive league in high school, and. Wasn't one of those highly tatted prospects, but has the tools to potentially do something. What happens to him when he goes down, to, goes down to instructs and, you know, gets a, like a full year of like, you know, offseason, like professional coaching, being able to bulk up some? Is he going to be, how interesting is he going to be, uh, as a prospect? I feel like he will be at least really interesting, uh, even if I am fully cognizant of the fact that his profile is one that's super risky. 
uh, in terms of like really kind of getting really excited about. The short answer to your question is no, I'm not, I'm, I'm not as excited about this, I'm not, about this group as I was last year's group, just because again, there's just more depth of talent on, in that group and there were just kind of more clear, clearly defined high ceiling guys, but there's still guys to be excited about. Um, the next question is, uh, what, uh, uh, minor league players uh, do we expect to lo- might the Braves lose in the Rule Five draft this year? Who would you add to the forty man to be protected? Um, do you have that? Do you have that list in front of you, or do you need? Do, or do we need a second? I have seen the list. I don't have the exact list in front of me, but I know what the names are. And I think the guy that I'd be most, I think everyone that's a significant prospect, uh, the Paches, the Contreras is. There's no risk there. I mean, those guys, they're locks. They're going to get added to the 40 man. But I think the guy I'd be most worried about losing right now is a guy that I've been high on. He's had a disappointing year. We haven't talked about him yet. Corbin Klaus, who I was expecting to be one of the better relief prospects in the game a couple of years ago. And his performance has been okay, but it hasn't been quite as good as the way he looked. Since the year he got drafted, he's had some ups, some downs, command-wise, getting hit a little bit as he's tried to make some adjustments. He's battled through some injuries. And now that the Braves just added all these relief arms, and some of them that will be there next year, some of them that, even if they're not already signed for next year, may return, and the fact that they might want to look to add some proven big league relief arms to the bullpen to solidify it instead of giving that 40-man spot to a kid reliever. So whether it's possibly losing him in the Rule 5 or trading him before it gets to that point to avoid losing him in the Rule 5, I think that's probably the most valuable prospect in the system that I'd be worried about myself at this point. Yeah, so I don't think he's going to get picked. Uh, and that's partially because, I mean, I just happen to know, like, he's dealing with a, a, a shoulder injury. And I just don't think that a, a team's going to use a Rule 5 spot on a guy like that. Um, I, I mean, you, you do wonder about a guy like Philip Pfeiffer, whether or not he would get picked considering what he's done. Um, Tucker Davidson's another guy that's going to get, add, get, get, is going to get added to the, is added to the 40 man roster. I, I don't necessarily think that Corbin is going to, um, Another guy, I didn't realize that Contreras, I didn't realize that Contreras was actually going to be Rule 5 eligible. Uh, and I guess they were going to, they're going to have to add him too, because if, if they didn't add him, he would be picked. Same thing with De La Cruz. Um, but there's a couple, a couple guys, I mean, like, it's, maybe someone's wanting to gamble on Thomas Burroughs, but, you know, given where he has been in terms of, you know, his development, I'm not sure if he's necessarily a danger to be picked. This is why I'm more worried about Klaus. I mean, you look at these names, and obviously, like, the Davidsons, Dale Cruz, those guys are lost to be added. But if you're getting down to a Burroughs versus a Klaus, I think it becomes more about who's got more upside. And yeah, Klaus has an injury, but you could stash him on the DL, IL, whatever you want to call it. Um, you could stash him and get him the time in when he's ready next year. It's not like he's going to miss all of next year or anything like that. So, yeah, I think he's a guy you can work around and get in there because he's got upside as a reliever. I, I, I mean, it's not a question of whether or not I like him or not because I do – I mean, I, he's definitely a higher upside guy than Burroughs, for example. I just don't think there's a danger of him being picked. 
You know what I mean? And if there's not a danger of him being picked, I, and again, I just don't, I think it's more likely that he'd be picked in return than picked and stay. And I think it's most likely that he wouldn't be picked at all. Um, I still like the guy a lot. Uh, and I, I firmly believe that he'll come back from all this injury stuff and he'll end up being a, a realistic option in terms of being a lefty who can, you know, do some damage in a bullpen. But overall, just not, it's not, it's not, it, I wouldn't be like completely shocked if they add him to the 40 man roster, but. So some of the relievers that picked, get picked in the Rule 5 draft, they're not guys that I'd pick myself. You have such a random mix of guys with big stuff, guys without big stuff, guys with great results, guys with horrible results in the minor leagues, guys that have made a triple A. Some of these guys are in A ball, whether it's low or high A when they get picked. I mean, it's a pretty random thing if you look at the list of relievers, just pure relievers selected in the Wolf 5 drafts in the last 5 to 10 years. Let's go with just the last 5 years to be safe because that's when baseball's really started to change to what it is at this point today. And a guy like Klaus offers a lot of upside and it's just easiest to take a chance on a reliever. Now, obviously... Just because you're a reliever with upside doesn't mean you're going to get picked. I mean, look at Jacob Webb just last year. He was sitting out there and did not get picked, and he had a pretty strong year this year up until he ended up getting hurt. I mean, this is true. You know, again, relievers are generally going to be your best bets. In terms of, like, position prospects and stuff like that, the really really good ones always get protected. And, you know, the other ones that don't get protected and a lot, like, for example, we, we were genuinely concerned that Ray Patrick Ditter was going to get lost to the Rule 5 last year and he ended up not getting picked. You know, same thing with Travis Demerit, who, you know, he's, he's made it onto the Tigers roster. You know what I mean? Like, he's a guy who has played the major leagues after he got traded. It's, you know, you can get real value out of guys who were eligible for the Rule 5 and weren't picked. But generally what the Rule 5 is used for with, is to pick up just more like surplus relievers to give a shot in in camp. You know what I mean? Um, you just don't see uh, like you don't see top 100 guys or even fringe top 100 guys not get protected on the 40 well, on the 40 man roster. So in terms of like prospects that we like super concerned about, I just don't think it's likely. Uh, Klaus is again in an interesting case here, uh, but I think because of all the injury stuff, I think it's unlikely that he would be picked. So I don't think he's going to get added to the 40 man, but I also don't think he's going to be picked which is good news because I want him to stay around. Yeah, I'd also like him to stay around. And um, what you were talking about with position players, really the last two big position players taken are Josh Hamilton, who was not on there because of talent reasons, obviously, and the biggest other guy in recent years, name-wise, is Odubel Herrera, who was not really a big prospect when he was taken, but... He's carved out a fairly meaningful enough career, even though he's not really an impact player. And obviously, he's got his off-the-field issues, which we're not going to get into. But uh, that's really the last name player taken in a Rule 5 draft. Yeah, pretty much. And those, I mean, those are guys that, you know, guys teams must have done their homework on a little bit. And in Hamilton, Hamilton was kind of a weird case just because of all the stuff that went on with him when he was in the minors and then he came up and, you know, 
before his body broke down, he was a super exciting player in the major leagues. But, you know, that was a guy who had some real demons. And that's kind of to get really high-end talent in the Rule 5. And there's just no one that that jumps out to me in this Rule 5 draft at any level that is going to be that is going to be available. Um, it was actually one of the better cases as to why Pache could have feasibly been called up this September because they're going to have to add him to the 40-man anyway. But it's it's just unlikely that any prospect of note is picked unless there is information about that prospect that we just simply don't know. Um, and I would wager, I, I, I would wager a significant sum that there's no member of the Braves' current top 30 prospects that's going to be picked in the Rule 5. I feel fairly confident about that. Uh, obviously weird, weird roster things can happen, especially if, you know, like trades and things like that happen, but, I, and they're, they're not able to protect a guy for whatever reason, but I find that to be extremely unlikely. Um, we got a couple more questions and then we'll let everyone go. Um, who is more likely to have a bounce back season in 2020? Tuki Tissant or AJ Mentor? You first, bud. I mean, this is an easy one. It's gotta be Mentor. Mentor's got less of a track record of ups and downs in his career. He's a reliever, which is safer than a starter in general to correct itself because there's just less issues with him, I think. I think coming in healthy and just being who he is this offseason, getting a chance to do a normal workout all offseason and showing up to camp healthy, working out in camp and Getting into the big league roster by the start of the season next year would not be a surprise for me with him. Yeah, I I agree in the sense that one I just like I just like Minter better as a reliever in general. I think, and more importantly, if we're if we're speaking about both these guys in terms of being relievers going forward, in Tuki's case, you know he has a history of not of having command issues, and that's been the primary issue that he's had but the thing with Minter for me is just that you know he was so good last year and he's been a true reliever for a long time I I can see a world where in a world of volatile stocks that are relievers you just have an off gear like he has and he didn't have didn't have a spring training like he wanted you know he got in that car wreck and that messed everything up for him and I could feel like that I could kind of snowball into a rough season like he's had Whereas in Tuki's case, it's much less harder to pinpoint, and there's been fixes that have been tried to put in place with Tuki that clearly haven't stuck. So if I'm betting on a guy to have kind of a bounce back season and carve out a role where he could be good, I'm gonna I'm gonna definitely bet on Minter. Um, th- it's not an impossible thing where like Tuki comes out and looks great next year though either. You know what I mean? Like he's the stuff's um, the raw stuff is so good that you know if, if he can just make a couple adjustments that make a real <laughs> that could that could make a real impact on his command. He would be able to do a lot of damage in a hurry and get a lot of attention because he's just again such a talented guy. But in terms of like betting odds, in terms of you know like track record, you know Minter's a guy who like cruised through the minor leagues, you know killed everybody, looked really good for extended stretches next last year as a reliever at the big league level. Uh, kind of a lost season this year, which really stinks. Uh, and you wonder how much of that's mental. You wonder how much of that is just. You know, he just was not able to get up for the season like we were all hoping he would have. Just and just because he was injured and things just kind of snowballed from there. And you know, he's had he, he's definitely not looked great in the major leagues. I'm not going to 
say that he's looked better of the two because, I mean, I don't think either one of them have looked particularly great, but uh, I would definitely bet on him. Uh, last question, and this was an interesting piece, and I don't know if you read it. I, I'm actually going to assume that you did just because, you know, you digest a ton of stuff by the miners like I do, but uh, what are your thoughts on traffic's, uh, Travis Shawcheck's piece about reducing the number of minor league teams? The Braves own most of their teams and might be in a position to buy Florida because of that of the bought-out lease. A reduction in the next five or ten years argues against buying the Flyer Frogs. I'll, I'll throw to you first. Yeah, I've seen the piece, obviously, and I have mixed feelings. I mean, the fan in me hates it because I want as many minor league teams as possible. I think you could do a lot more player development in-game with players, but I, I, the way that the game is going today... I don't think that that's actually going to be the case. I think that it is possible we could end up losing an affiliate. And not just the Braves, I'm talking about overall. I would assume it's the Danville level, to be honest. Because I think the other levels above that would be kept. And then just one level of complex ball overall. And working from there. Uh, we might see further reductions in the future. I think that would depend on what would happen if they got rid of complex ball in some form first before they would ever get rid of high A or low A or double A and triple A. So but I, I could see at least exploration of something like that. I could definitely see some level of cons- of consolidation. I was really interested by the piece because the, it, it highlights, I think it was the Astros that had brought in someone that was dealing with soccer. And, you know, in their world, they had all their prospects, young and old, kind of in the same place. And, you know, everything was under control, under one building. And, you know, it was understood that, you know, these guys were more advanced than others and things like that. I don't know how this necessarily plays out in terms of promotions as to how this would work. But the idea of kind of like having everyone in the same environment and, you know, having all the tool, everyone having tools available to them that would allow them to succeed is appealing to me. I just don't know how that translates to minor league baseball in general, just because you, you want to have, be playing games and you want them to be playing against light competition, et cetera. You know, does, does that mean it's just like, you know, it's just up to the clubs just to not necessarily you know, almost create tiers that look very similar to levels, but, you know, it's all within the same purview. I just don't really know how that would work. Um, I will say that the consolidation of losing Danville, it might happen at some point. But the issue I have at the moment is that, with specifically with the Fire Frogs, is that it's becoming abundantly clear to me that the Braves don't like sending their top prospects there for any appreciable amount of time um, and that they're willing to be aggressive to keep guys out of there. And there's, uh, there's reasons for that one. It's just, you know, like it's not a particularly great environment to evaluate guys is because, you know, it's a really pitcher friendly environment and there's also a ton of rain. So, you know, guys get, you know, are having to pitch on like weird timetables and, you know, guys will like have to play back to back double headers and all this other nonsense. I do think that the Braves should explore and this particular questioner also asked a question about kind of, you know, the state of the fire frogs in general, just because, and, you know, the, the use of the Northport facility, uh, because of those, you know, those territorial rights that exist down there, 
you know, what's going to happen, you know, should they just extend with the fire frogs and, or, you know, you know, what, what should they do with the Northport facility? Should that be the home of the team? And is that possible? And all that stuff of my personal opinion is that the Braves just need to get out of the Florida state league completely. And I, and I, and I do think that that would be in terms of a player development move and in terms of understanding what they need to get out of a high A affiliate. If I'm wanting to not have a high A affiliate, if I'm not wanting to have an affiliate period and just have a jump, which seems to already happen consistently anyway, going from low A Rome up to double A, I would consider the high A be where, where I would be focusing my attention. What I think is, but I'm not necessarily sure that's feasible. What I think instead they should do is just consider going back to the Carolina League or exploring or considering going elsewhere. Just because no, not elsewhere. The elsewhere other than the Carolina League is the California League, which is even worse. Well, in terms of weather, in terms of offense, I mean, um, look at pitching numbers in that league. Pitchers go there to die. Well, I'm not necessarily as concerned about that so much as just being able to play on a consistent basis. You know what I mean? Uh, I mean. Like a, yeah, they get to play on a consistent basis, but do you want to see Ian Anderson go out there and get touched up for six, seven, eight runs on a regular basis just because they play in tiny little stadiums where guys are going to put up ridiculous power numbers across the league? You're operating under the assumption that anyone that's coming out of a California league has not become a good pitching prospect, and I just don't think that's necessarily true. No, that's not I mean, like, the case, I mean, but it's it, it takes a toll mentally to get your head beaten in like that. Well, if if that is the options between being like that, that is assuming that there isn't a mental toll being done and being put down in Florida, which I know for a fact isn't true, right? Like, like that that is a tough place to play, and there's a lot of reasons for that. It's not it's not simply just you know hitters are you know they, they're not. They're not being able to get their ball to carry, and they're not being able to show out power numbers as much. Or, you know, like, you know, it, pitchers are having trouble because they're having to pitch on these truncated tables. There's a lot of reasons for why the the current state of the Florida Fire Frogs, at least in my mind, is not an ideal environment, right? Whereas the reason for not going to want to go to the California League is simply because you know there's a a, a good chance that there's going to be Look, there's going to be tough games regardless. I mean, look, look what's going on in AAA right now in terms of the new baseball. Everyone's putting up crazy numbers up there, but no one's saying that they should eliminate, you know, AAA in general. You know, the reality is just that there's just going to be power numbers that we put up against you. Can you deal with that or not? That, that's not that's not a reason to completely discount a league. Whereas in the Florida State League, there's an actual problem: with the fact that they just can't get games in and they can't pitch on a regular timetable. And they can't pitch on a regular schedule because, for whatever reason, somehow the state of Florida is not permanently underwater because it rains constantly. So, in my mind, yes, there's definitely some issues with how the California League works in terms of you know stadium size and this, you know the offensive numbers are a little bit silly. But and let's be clear, I would prefer a move back to the Carolina League if possible because you know amongst high A affiliates anyway. One, they're more likely to stream games there, which, you know, for selfish reasons, I would prefer them to be there. But also, it's just that it seems like a more of a level league in terms of what we're looking at competition-wise. But that's not a reason for me to, to stay in the Florida State League, right? So that's just my general idea, is that 
what I think right now in terms of player development, if we're using the high A affiliates and we want them to use them effectively, I don't necessarily think that means that staying in the Florida State League. I just don't. And I would prefer the California League or the Carolina League over those. So uh, I think that we've covered everything we can cover. We actually ran a little bit longer than I thought we were going to tonight. Um, but, you know, that's what happens when Matt and I start talking about baseball. You know, things just kind of run a little bit longer than we were planning in, in, in the best possible way. Uh, that's all the time we have. Greatly appreciate you guys. If you want to follow the podcast, make sure you follow it on Twitter at Road the Number Two Atlanta, uh, where you can find out when new po- new episodes drop. These also get dropped on uh, TalkingChop.com. We there's always a post that goes up once we get the, everything uploaded onto. Oh, sorry, my voice is starting to go out on me. Uh, uploaded onto Megaphone and get it disseminated. I am hopeful, and please let me know if this isn't true that uh, the issues with Google Podcasts and all that stuff that's been rectified. And this is actually showing up in the, in the Talking Chop podcast or showing up in the streams again. If you want to subscribe to the podcast, don't use the old SoundCloud Road to Atlanta uh, uh, subscription. Make sure you go on to iTunes or whatever your favorite purveyor of podcasts and you subscribe to the Talking Chop podcast. Not only will you get this podcast, but you also get the Talking Chop podcast with Brad and his uh, rotating co-hosts, of which I am one. It would be great if you guys would subscribe and leave a, you know, leave a good review for us. It helps us grow the podcast. And if you want to support this particular podcast and allow us to continue to go on trips and, you know, allow us to continue to upgrade equipment and to do cool, cooler and cooler things, you can go to our Patreon, which is pinned on that Twitter account that I just mentioned and where you can, you can donate $5 a month, $2 a month, $10 a month, you know, whatever you want to do. We appreciate it. It's not, you know, regardless of what happens with Patreon. We're going to keep doing this uh, frequently. The offseason is going to be a little bit different just because there's just not much new content coming out. We'll update you guys on the AFL, and we're going to do some roster run rundowns of you know each level and things like that going forward. But it might be an every-other-week thing for a while unless something notable happens. And in, we'll do your best to keep you updated as to what's going on. I would anticipate that next week we would not have a show. But again, things can change, and we'll try to do your best to kind of let you know when that's going to happen. We really appreciate all the support, and thanks and and thanks for all the the time that you guys give us each each time we're on the on the stream. I know it's been a little bit more regular, but again, towards the end of the season, just less and less things to talk about. Uh, but we're going to continue to try to get more uh, guests onto the show. We already have some ideas that are currently in the hoppers. Kind of who's going to be coming back onto the show? Who might be some new guests coming onto the show? And you know, so make sure you stay tuned in the off season. It's going to be a lot of fun. And don't forget around the turn of the year, you know, that, that this late December, early January is when we do our preseason prospect list. And at the worst case, you can, we can kind of start picking our brains a little bit as to kind of what our thinking is as we go into that list. And until next time, guys, we'll see you on the road.